do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. What does regenerative investing look like? We talk a lot on this podcast about where to put money to work in soil regeneration, soil measuring technology, food as medicine companies, compost companies, virtual fencing, etc. But we rarely talk about the how. How do we put money to work using regenerative principles in service of life and the companies instead of extracting as much value out of the companies in the shortest amount of time? Today, we have an interview with the team that doesn't want to become the largest fund in regeneration, but the most radical one. This is the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, where we talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities, and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land and our sea, grow our food, what we eat, where and consume. And it's time that we as investors, big and small, and consumers start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. To make it easy for fans to support our work, we launched our membership community. And so many of you have joined us as a member. Thank you. If our work created value for you, and if you have the means, and only if you have the means, consider joining us. Find out more on gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. That is gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. Or find the link below. Welcome to another episode. Today with Thomas Hogenham, Managing Partner of Planetary, an evergreen investment vehicle based in Denmark. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I'm laughing because for sure I butchered your surname, which I practiced in the pre-call and I was okay at it. And now it didn't, it didn't come out. Anyway, I'm sorry for that. But so thank you so much for taking the time this morning to, to share with us, to talk with us about your journey into evergreen. I think with some investors, some bells are starting to ring, but with evergreen investments and what um, regenerative investments look like in the space. But to start with a personal question, we always love to ask, how did you end up because uh, I don't think you have a farming background, as in you uh, managed a farm or you were deep in the soil. Like, how did you end up spending quite a bit of time um, focusing on companies that are looking after soil or indirectly building soil? Like, how, how did soil become such a focus in, in your life? Yeah, I, I don't think I would have predicted I would end up here. Um Based on my history, it's much more growing up in a city and uh, and sitting behind a computer for many years. And I have been part of a Danish tech company that went well. Um, but I think the first thing that really got me in this direction was Jonathan Seffen Foas eating animal in 2009, 2010. And I really just liked his, liked his fiction. So I also uh, read uh, eating animals and I, I didn't really know what was uh, waiting in it. Um, I, I don't even think I knew it was nonfiction. But it, it really struck me very hard about um, how alienated we were in terms of the animals we're eating. So so after that, I've been much more conscious about the food production system, but I, I didn't really do anything about it professionally other than eating way less meat. Um, then I was part of a company that uh, had an IPO in 2018 in Denmark, and I, I stopped after that to, to do something else. And um, 
I didn't really know what to do. So I went back to university to teach a class on entrepreneurship. And I told the students they could work on whatever problem they felt was important. And I, I didn't really have any, any expectations about what what they would work on. I thought maybe something about uh, a Shopify shop or uh, something for the Friday bar. But but all of them uh, chose a development goal, and most of them within climate or biodiversity. So so it was like a very clear eureka moment to me that the smartest young people uh, up here. Um, if, if you gave them the chance to work on a problem, they chose something about the climate crisis, a biodiversity crisis. And I knew enough about the early stage investors up here to know that they were not necessarily concerned about that, that uh, sustainability to them was a cost and something to be you know, avoided if, if, uh, if we could um, and, and not the driver of the business. So I started myself investing in uh, in some uh, green startups up here that some of them focusing on food, others were, were more tech, uh, tech place. Uh, and then we uh, then I met into the founders of the Danish organic mailbox company, Austilene, and um, and we did some shout, shout out to the other with, Thomas for, for yeah, introducing us. Yes, <laughs> Yes, and uh, and uh, and what I know about uh, soil today is is mostly from him and his mindset, and he's uh, much much smarter than I am within soil, and it's uh, it's been a great privilege um, to learn from him, and uh, it, it, he's sort of a cheat sheet in uh, terms of of, uh, of learning all this. So the first thing we did was that they had uh, made some community gardens outside their office, and we wanted to try to to spin it out and put it into a company and, and have many more community gardens. So, so that was my uh, plunge into uh, to learning uh, a little bit of farming and how to, to grow, not really at scale, it's very small scale, uh, a few uh, acres, but still, you know, uh, seeing how much, many practicalities and, and how difficult and, and how much of a craft it is to grow anything uh, organically or biodynamically, uh, let alone uh, regeneratively. <laughs> and uh, so we did that for some years and then um, and, and it's still running and going fine. And then we talked about that, that I was also running my investments on the side and, uh, and Thomas also wanted to, to pay it forward and invest in a new generation of companies. So we decided to set up planetary as a, as a small fund. And it's, 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 uh, it's by no means the biggest fund. Uh, it's only uh, something like 6 million euros um, to, to begin with. Um, but but we set it up to support the next generation of of companies and um, and it's not only soil and food. It's we're, we're trying to be regenerative and more in the sort of John Fullerton sense, with, where it's broader uh, regenerative economics. But a lot of it comes down to to soil and food, obviously. Yeah, of course. With with Thomas, the other Thomas, on uh, as a as a co-founder as well, or as as an inspirator, yeah, you're going to end up on food and soil very, very quickly. Uh, but to take a step back to, to that university moment, like when you got all those proposals or those, those business plans or whatever the, the students end up writing back, like, was that a moment you thought, um, Ooh, this is possible. Or was it like, Ooh, they're very idealistic. Uh, they would work on this, but like, have you been exposed at that moment already to, to examples of companies that were doing these kind of things. So you, your, your entrepreneur mind and your investor mind said, okay, oh, wow, actually they, they want to work on this and I see it as a path or did you see it as, 
oh, these are very idealistic. This is never going to work because investors and entrepreneurs and the, the world is not ready for this. Or ha did, have you been exposed at that point? Were you already exposed to, to examples? So you could see like, wow, actually people want to work on this stuff and, and it could, it could like, this could turn into companies. Or were you skeptical? Um, <laughs> no, I think both, uh, all of all of the above um, here, because they are idealistic, and and you need to be that still. I think it's often used sort of a, a, a derogative to someone who's an entrepreneur and wants to do something good. But without the ideals, I don't think it really matters. Then you're not doing the right thing. Um, I had seen some companies starting to get traction. It's probably a stretch to call them regenerative because it's such a high bar and what we are doing today is where it's, it's our north star but but not all of our investments are are meeting that very high bar yet i think uh, we, and and it's a bar that's moving to us but but even back then i could see that that some of them could think about business models that could actually support their visions and and if you can do that then then great um the other thing you're saying is, are the people ready for it uh, to get mainstream? And no, and most things we're doing right now, you know, the market and, and consumers or governments are not ready for it. But but uh, we have to trust that the people who can envision a future um, that's actually better, um, that, that people will be ready for it at some point. And you said we're, we're a small fund, only 6 million. I think many first-time funds would quote-unquote kill for that uh, to get started. But of course, it's uh, um, like what what is different at the fund? Of course, we're going to talk about a few of the portfolio companies and the future, but I think there's a very fundamental piece that, that we need to, to unpack. And I mentioned in the intro already, the, the evergreen structure side. Like why did you decide to not only innovate on which companies you invest in, which put a very, very high bar in terms of North Star regeneration and not just on soil, but on community and everything, but also let's, let's make our life a bit more difficult and also in, innovate on the, the fund structure side of things. Why was that necessary? Why is that necessary? And then let's unpack. Well, it is actually not making my, my life a, a little bit more, uh, <laughs> a little bit harder, much harder to innovate on the fund structure. But but um, I went around and asked to a lot of the green entrepreneurs up here. I also wrote a book about green entrepreneurship. So I, I talked to the, the most progressive founders I could find. And a lot of them, if not all of them, they said that they didn't really like taking in investors with a, you know, seven or 10 plus two years time horizon because they they knew they would be sold and they wouldn't really be in control about who would own them. And they really, really feared about their impacts and, and all the work they put into this um, would just go away if they were sold to a, you know, bad industrial player or something like that. So, 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 so the, just to the hear, because there's, there's one sentence in your deck as well, that's really interesting, but you're saying that the most interesting founders from your perspective, the most interesting companies were very reluctant or even not interested at all to take quote unquote mainstream capital because which means they didn't take it in many cases. It means they were growing less than they could or they, they didn't take they didn't use the tool finance as they could because they, they didn't want to be sold at seven years or five years to somebody they didn't weren't in control. That's that's an issue. Like that's a or or an opportunity obviously for for Europe. But that means <laughs> that there's a whole class of 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 companies that are not using the tool of finance because they don't want to be exposed to the risks of it. Exactly. And um, and to me, that's yeah, both a problem and definitely an, an opportunity. And and uh, and that's the first problem we wanted to solve was to be a service to those founders who actually did have a long term thinking. And 
for them to to be able to to be truly long term thinking, they need a partner uh, and a fund that also uh, has long term thinking. It, like it is simple math that if we have if your investor is short term thinking, you can't be long term thinking. It doesn't really add up. So so we decided to do that, and and we are never going to compromise on that. And that's the first thing we are promising founders that we are never going to fund and. And our time horizon that's uh, that's crossing generations and not not years or or a decade or two, um, and and many people also uh, LPs and institutional investors they really dislike this because they're not used to it and and uh, they don't really see an easy way out and and it is more complicated uh, but but you know we are working on structures to ensure that people can can get their money out uh, at some point um, including. Uh, myself uh, if if we need that uh, one day but it is it, it it is a tricky thing but it's also a necessary thing i've also seen in the tech industry how bad a short-term venture fund can or how much it can really mess up um that that we see so much pressure on founders that are not getting anxiety or stressed out or burnout because there is a pressure no one can or very few people can live under we can see how many of the how many of the sort of problems that are externalized because it doesn't really fit in a time in a short time horizon um, especially in Silicon Valley, I think that that the generation of companies were created there the last twenty years is not necessarily those who want the next twenty years. Uh, so, so you're so, making uh, a case so, there that there's 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 no space, let's say, for a holistic view if you're squeezed to perform towards an IPO or exit uh, in four years, four, five years, whatever, like the next series you need to raise, and that treadmill leaves out a lot of things. Let's say, plus it's very unhealthy for the founder so there there is the need for this but i would say on i, I would say the founder side of things probably um is very interested i mean there's that quote in, in your in your deck like one of the companies you invested in turned down all investors until now like they they probably got a lot of people knocking and and until now they always kept the door closed or just listened for a second and said no we're not interested and so now they're interested in you and then the question comes okay if there's not going to be an exit um, what will the returns look like for investors like how do investors get uh, get some return or returns, or how do you structure that? I know there's some other vehicles like Trilos has an evergreen fund, Aquaspark on uh, on sustainable aquaculture. I used to work there, it has one, but there are not many. Like, so you probably have to explain this many times. Like, how does how does returns work if we're not going to do crazy IPOs uh, in four or five years? Yeah, so so um, one thing we're actually trying, and it sounds crazy in the venture world, but it's to to help to create uh, and help create uh, profitable companies. <laughs> so oh, wow, uh, like profit, profit. Ah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Simple profit, and and then we'll also get a return uh, every year instead of having a big, big exit. So that's uh, one thing we're aiming for, and and we're not saying we'll never sell a company. It will happen because it will be right for the founders, or or there'll be uh, another fund or another owner that will be even better than we can be for them. So so it's not that we will, we are against selling, but but we will not take the initiative to make that transaction. If the founders feel like like they, they need to get out and we can find another fund or investor or industrial buyer that will be the right steward of this idea, that's great. Then everyone Perfect bridge, perfect bridge. What do you think of steward ownership? Like what's the, the movement in Germany, especially we had Armin on the podcast. We, I will link it below. We absolutely need to, to recheck in with them. The whole purpose driven and, and getting that into basically making companies own themselves. 
what is how far is that away from you how close is it are you cousins brothers what's the or sisters like what's the the thinking on the steward ownership side yeah so with one of our investments uh, the only other uh, owner is actually a fund uh, sort of a, a, a non-profit fund that there's their only role is to own that company um, but they didn't really have any capital so they needed someone to come in along with them um, and and that's us so in that way we are cooperating and we see ourselves as um, uh, as a great partner to that um, there are some instruments we are looking at uh, uh, that can maybe take us a bit more in that direction but it's back to the sort of inventing on the fund side that if we also introduce that, then uh, getting LPs is even, even harder for us. <laughs> You're going to so, be stuck so with, I, I mean, stuck is nice, but stuck with 6 million. Yeah, it's going to be, don't innovate too many things, which seems to, to already happen. So on the LP side, like how are people responding to this? You said it's difficult for them, obviously, because they're used to control and used to exit and liquidity in different ways, or I would say even liquidity on paper, like, oh, there's going to be exits, which... Very yeah. often never materialize, but in their mind, especially institutional players, obviously they have the rule books that they need to follow. How have been those conversations and, and have, is there, has there been some shift? Like, is it, are you seeing yourself going to 50 or 100 million? Are you going to be at 20? Like, what's the, the feeling or at six? Like, what's the feeling with, with, um, potential investors, LPs in, uh, in the structure and the vehicle or the fund? Yeah, I think a lot is happening here on the sort of uh, high net worth individuals. Uh, we see a big shift right now. Uh, a lot of uh, or increasing number of people with money, they're really longing to invest where their values are. And and uh, some of it needs to be sort of in liquid stocks. And I guess the best you can do there is uh, a good ESG screen portfolio. But, but you know, no one really gets out of the bed in the morning and look at their ESG screen uh, index fund and and really get excited about that or really feel that they're making a difference so so uh, we and and other funds like some of them you, you mentioned before like aquaspark uh, i think we're much better at 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 making the, the the transition and their impact tangible telling the stories and and actually letting them be part of what we do so some of our lps are also taking the board seats so we spend some time with them saying that how do we wish uh, to contribute to the boards, what do we expect them to do? Um, what do we expect our board members to do? So, so we see it as a means of empowered participation. So our LPs can actually contribute in multiple ways um, to the portfolio companies we're doing, and that's very important for us. Um, uh, and and comes also comes out of regenerative economics is empowered participation. So. So we're working very hard to make sure that that everyone around us they actually get involved in as much as they they can and want to be. And, and what's the goal? It, yeah, the goal there with like, do you, do you want to keep this small, or what? What's your longer term? Um, like in, in in X years, I would like to be at fifty or a hundred. Like when does it also make sense economically to run the fund? Because of course there are fixed costs on, on these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and and I always hear the number of 50, 50 million. I always hear five zero, but I don't know. And maybe in this case, it's slightly different. Like what, what do you feel like? Okay. Where we, we'd be nice to reach level X at some point. Yeah, I think maybe something like 25 million euros would be a nice place for us to be. So so we really think about our own impact a lot. And it's not necessarily about being the largest fund that will give us the largest impact. 
but it is being able to be more radical than the other ones. And and uh, a year ago, we were we were merely, I would say, focused on, on uh, sustainability. Now we're setting the bar to be regenerative, and we'll probably move that bar once others other investors are also moving. So we see our role as sort of increasing the spectrum about. Uh, how can you invest, uh, and and how close can you get to philanthropy with without being it, um, and and still being a for profit fund, and and if we get too big or take or get too many LPs that don't truly believe that, then it will be impossible for us to have that that uh, that role. So we'd rather have less money, but from LPs who actually really want to support and and push us to be more radical um, in a good way. And, and the other uh, question you had about institutional investors, um, a year and a half ago, no one would touch us because of the Evergreen Fund. Some of them are getting back now and saying, oh, okay, maybe that's not really a blocker. Uh, if ah. you like everything else, then, <laughs> then uh, we, we, let's look at that. So I think there is a shift there. and, and um, Interesting. Yeah. And some of the American VCs, like uh, I think, is it Sequoia? Sequoia, Sequoia set up Evergreen. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and that really helped, you know, shifting the narrative. And they're not really doing it in terms of regeneration or caring about. Uh, no, uh, they see the returns are 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 there in the long run. I think they're the the Evergreen yeah. structure, like some returns take fifteen years, and and why would you? force yourself to exit before if you're purely profit driven purely yes, money driven exactly. but also purely impact driven i think it makes a lot of sense for many things i mean just looking at soil or agriculture or looking at agroforestry like it takes years to build up a system why would you yeah. want to get out at year eight if it just starts to get interesting and i think that some people started to realize like hey, maybe this 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 structure is actually limiting us in terms of impact and returns yeah. because we have to get out too early yeah, exactly, and and especially when it comes to to sustainability and, and regeneration, that so much depends on on governments and new policy, and and who knows when that will come. Um, carbon taxes will be very good for our portfolio, for example. Um, and when but, they but come, we don't yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to that, be around. Uh, like basically, this is a bet to wait and and be there long enough. And of course, that's why you focus on profitable companies. That when the the tides change and and tights turn i think is the word and the legislation comes in which i mean on food will come uh, that at some point a lot of these things will switch and and then you need to be around it shouldn't be like maybe it changes at year 11 and you just exited everything yeah. which is just from any perspective not very helpful and especially not for for the companies and for 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 you as well yeah. And I don't think it's so. It's too hard to predict sort of the direction we're heading and what will be necessary, what will not. It's the timing and and when the crisis will come. So right now we're facing a huge grain crisis, um, which means so we invested in a, a company called Agrain, which uh, upcycles uh, spent grains from uh, for brewery, and they look a lot better when grain is a scarcity because you've sort of taken input from nothing and turned it into flour, and and. We knew that direction would come at some point because we will see uh, more unstable food production in the future. But, but we don't really know when uh, exactly it will happen, right? But, but we know it's directionally right. But, but, uh, but we want to be there long enough for also to, uh, to see the upside. Yeah, uh, no, which is, I, I, I'm, I'm always, uh, I don't want to quote. Uh, Nassim Taleb too much, but the anti-fragility of, of a portfolio, like be ready for these kind of shocks or profit from from shocks. And in this case, a grain 
price shock. I think the same uh, with with wild farmed. That that I mean, if you farm without inputs or mostly without inputs, and if you um, then then the rest of the bread sector. I mean, they do a very interesting um, grains in grown in permanent pasture. Um, so without any chemical fertilizer, etc. So suddenly prices of bread are rising, and your your bread isn't rising. So you're almost getting to the same level, while the quality obviously is a completely different product. So suddenly it, it doesn't create a status quo, but it definitely shocks the rest of the sector and not you. And that that makes it, I wouldn't say fair, but much more interesting to to look at. And this is not going to be the last time that that happens. So in terms of like deal flow like how i mean the lp side i understand is is definitely needs a lot of education and time to get that going but how how is the deal flow side um until now have you been surprised excited uh, disappointed what what has been the the deal flow side of things in terms of is there way more than you could do what what's the 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 status on the deal flow side yes definitely more than we can do so that's also the main reason for getting more uh, raising more money that we actually have a deal flow <laughs> flow that we want to support um so so right now we can only handle maybe sort of pursuing two three four investments at the same time and not all of them will go through but but we're still relatively small um so so we get much more in than than we can handle and some of it would just uh, reject early because uh, we don't really feel we have the domain knowledge yet. Um, we're much better in food and agriculture than we are in energy, for example. So, so that's not really focused right now, um, and it might never be. But, but uh, you know, it also matters. But, but others might be be better uh, equipped than than us for that. But we are getting getting in a lot, and and uh, our portfolio companies are speaking uh, quite nicely of us, which also helps. Um, others get there and we are getting a very fast uh, a sort of a, a status in the industry at least here in, in Denmark where if you are really meaning sustainability and regeneration then then you go to planetary so we get uh, we get those first and um, yeah so so it, it's a good deal flow and we're mostly focusing on Scandinavia right now because it's easier for us um, and and uh, but but we want to to uh, increase over time, which means the the rest of Europe, like as as a continent, is that interesting? Germany, like what what would you see as or, yeah, or yeah, Scandinavia yeah, is big enough for 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 twenty five million? Do you want to learn how to invest, or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space, or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? we have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. We want to support the, the founders that are... That, that the most radical ones. could also be, <laughs> be in Germany as well or uh, other parts of Europe. But we'll probably stay to Europe. Um, we have a broader mandate because we feel that... that um, that we're still very early and the, and this is very complex and, and, and we don't want to make too many fixed decisions too early because we also want to, to like like all living systems, uh, adapt and learn over time. And, and I feel it's silly that you make all the most important decisions earliest when you have the least information, right, <laughs> and the least experience. Um, so that's why we're also really trying to, to actually give ourselves some degrees of freedom to, to change these things, things over time. And 
Because you mentioned, it's a nice bridge actually, you mentioned in your deck, we are in service of life, which sounds amazing, but can you elaborate a bit on that? Like, what does it mean to you? Um, because I've heard that multiple times uh, coming back, but not necessarily in a financial, uh, like let's say fundraising deck from a fund. I've heard it from farmers that are deep in this movement. Like, uh, and it's it's this humbleness that that really is interesting, I think, and, and the relationship with nature and being part of nature and in service of life. But what do you mean by that when when you put it in a fundraising deck? Uh, and and then I would love to know like the reaction from people when you present this in a in a meeting. But first, what what do you mean by being in service of life? So um, right now we see the economy as something that's sort of transcending life. It's something even more fundamental than life. Something that's that's on a very special level in in our society that that we care so much about our economy and GDP and 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 sort of life is in service of our economy. That we need our we need to take care of our economy first, and then the rest will follow. And we don't think that's the right way to look at it. So we want our finance and our uh, investments to be in service of, of life and not the other way around. So, so, so we use money as to, to support the, the life and health ecosystems and, and not try to, to monetize them or, or be extractive of those, but, but vice versa. And I don't know if it's still very a, a vague way to put this, um, but, but that's sort of our thinking, um, on this and when you i mean it obviously depends on on the the audience but let's say we're in a theater full, full of uh, full of investors but let's let's say it's a it's an institutional one and you you present your you pitch your fund to present it like do you get questions on that like what does that mean or have you like these institutional investors now call back like do they have like oh this is this sounds really hippie uh, or do they resonate with that? Like, what's the what's been the response? Have there been surprises in in when you go to that level? Because this is deep. This is deep regeneration, John Fullerton, regenerative economy stuff that resonates with some, but maybe not with all. And w- do you get interesting questions on that? Well, I um, I see a lot of uh, dead eyes, I think, and some for really <laughs> light off. So let's say that that between five or fifteen percent they really get this and they really, really like when I, when I say it, and I can't really predict who it will be because some, they, they really have sort of a deep longing inside and like, Oh, someone finally expressed what I've been thinking. But then there are all the, or some of the, the, the suits who, who don't trust me because if I don't get up in the morning to, to uh, make the most money back to investors, how can they trust me? You know, and that's sort of the opposite of uh, you know being in service to life. Then we are in service to economy, and and the only thing that matters is the returns we're generating. But but uh, and that's sort of what we need to flip. That we need to to generate a return, and but it's not the most important thing. It's not why we're doing this. Um, it, it's a means to an end, and not the other way around. But uh, but but we do get a lot of pushback on that because people think it's too hippie, and and thereby the thing that we don't really understand finance or understand anything really. It's interesting because it's sort really... of the same. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's just, it, it can be a hard place to be because at some point, you know, when enough people say that, you know, I can feel insecure about this stuff because like, okay, they, they're really getting upset about this, but, but you know, that's how it is when you come in with a new paradigm, I guess. But, uh, and, and, you know, I do understand finance, so it's not that 
that that I'm stupid, right? <laughs> but but and the companies but, are doing really yeah. well. Like the, the 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 proof of the pudding is in the eating, and like the investments you've made, a number of interesting investments with your own money. That's uh, that's I think people underestimate how much skin in the game is is uh, is changing perspective. So it's also like I'm I'm doing it this way, or we are doing it this way. Um, it's been successful. Companies are doing really well. Like either join us or don't, but it's not that like you you don't have to prove anything. It, it will no exactly. Uh, either you come on board or you don't, and it's fine. Like it, there's there's there there are other LPs, but I, I I'm imagining there are other potential LPs. I'm imagining it gets tiring at some point. And like, what do you do when you start doubting? Because you just mentioned in the pre-interview actually that you're you made the deck um, less VC and more radical. Like, is that an expression of that doubt? Because I don't think like if you were doubting too much, you would make it a almost a, a deck looking like a traditional VC and then, then a few things like, okay, it's evergreen, etc. I remember, I'm asking because I remember 12 years ago now seeing the first deck of SLM partners and, and Tony Lovell and not mentioning soil carbon in there. And I asked Tony, why, why did you do that? And he said, I want to be taken seriously, actually by a Danish pension fund, <laughs> funny small world, but, and the world has changed. I hope a lot, like this is an asset to, to be mentioning, like, look, we're building soil. And, and at that time it was uh, a crazy hippie thing to even talk about soil apparently. Like, what was that? Why, why did you want to make the deck more radical and, and step away from the traditional VC deck with a, with a small regenerative sauce on top? Uh, it actually started after I, t I talked to a family office advisor who really hated what we did. Like, he, he, he just talked trash for 30 minutes. He barely listened. Um, um, and he had so many ideas about how bad this was and and i was actually uh, I, I, so i talked to some some you know of the uh, of the people i knew who who are even more radical than or at least as radical as, as i am and and they sort of picked me up and gave me the confidence that there are enough people out there just so go for it because trying to do both it, it won't work you'll get stuck with the with those uh, advisors too much so just you know meet them with love uh, but but don't try to convince them and then then find the the people who re actually really want to do this and then go as far as we can in that direction so uh, we could only do that after we talk to some people who actually wanted to become lps in the sort of most radical world of them and uh, and that's been such a big help. And, and I think it shows also how much the ecosystem and making these introductions and connections, it, it really matters. And, and uh, you are doing that a lot and other good people are doing that. And, and that's really what's, you know, carrying us forward and, and giving us the audacity to do this. Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting point of it's better to go more radical and extreme because you don't get stuck in the middle. Like you, you don't get uh, mistaken for another sustainability or SDG fund or uh, a climate fund that put a few, put also a pillar of agriculture like under there, but they're not really doing anything and are still going for, for the same extreme returns or extreme speed mostly. And, and just be very clear what you're not and what you are. But yeah, of course you need yeah. the confidence to do that. So luckily you had the the ecosystem around you to support you to, to, to take that step. And it's, it's going to be very interesting. I think to see who comes out of the woodworks that is interested in this and is able to make investments. Of course, they, I mean, there are many yeah. radical people, unfortunately, without the, uh, the portfolios or wallets to, to do this kind of investments, but let's hope there are enough to, to kickstart this and show, um, what's, yeah, what's possible when, when investments are done differently. And I think you're lucky in a sense that there are some other evergreen structures out there. Sequoia became yeah. very, 
like the last year, but also, of course, we mentioned Aquaspark and Triodos Bank has a fund or Triodos Investment Management. And so you're not the first. At least you can point to others like, look, yeah, they, exactly. they're still yeah. alive. They're still alive. They're doing, yeah. they're doing more than fine. And so there are many investors that invested that have seen these documents before that understand, okay, there's going to be a lockup period and there will be liquidity, but it's not instant and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, so, and, and what would you tell, like, let's go back to that theater um, now let's, let's remove all the institutional ones, except the ones that really know, understand. So 10% stays, but the rest is filled with investors that are deeply interested in soil, deeply interested in, in regeneration and, and are wondering about, okay, how do I start regenerative investments? Apart from, of course, this is not investment advice, but getting in touch if you're interested, if you're in Europe, et cetera. But if you're, what do you want them to think about or do after they leave that theater, what should be, if we're on stage and we should give them some advice to, okay, if you want to know more about regenerative investments, you want to start questioning how to put the money to work, not necessarily where, but where is of course also a question, but let's, we say, convince you about food and act. Great. Now let's, let's say something about how, what would be a good first step for somebody that's interested in, in different ways of investing? I think the, the first step is to, to understand what returns meet for them. Uh, means for them because economic returns is one thing they're looking for, but it's maybe not, uh, it, it's certainly not the only one and it might not be the most important one. But but what is it? Is it uh, natural resources? Is it uh, cultural capital? Is it social capital? What is most important for them to uh, to sort of to, to generate and help generate and, and, and give back? And, and once you sort of start seeing that and also trying to understand the connections between them, and, and that's still something that's emerging in my head, how, how social capital and natural capital are really related in many ways. And, and we thought we would be mostly about climate and biodiversity, but you can't really disconnect it uh, to, to uh, or you can, but it, it's, it's not right to do it, I think, to, uh, to sort of climate justice or uh, poverty. You know, it, it all gets, it gets related at some point, but, but you need some focus points about what's important to you. That's the one thing. And the other one is, is maybe a bit more vague, but it is to, to sort of try to get, get rid of reductionism and understand that this is very, very complex. That, that, uh, that, that ah, so if somebody's so pitching many. me uh, a, a, a one trick that we can do or one solution that fixes everything in food and egg, I shouldn't believe him or her. Like that's, that's what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and try to, to sort of, yeah, understand that or just acknowledge that that this will be sort of a moving target for you that some of the early and in, early investments you'll do will will maybe be too simplistic or, or you you won't be too proud of them 10 years from now because you uh, either because more founders will create something more interesting um or also because your your knowledge wasn't deep enough at that point, but that's okay. You know, it's about getting getting started and getting to talk to people and understand the complexity in the businesses in it. Um, yeah, and and I know you know it's not the typical you know two three four four five investment advice which are really specific because I don't really believe uh, believe you can. But do I think that. get started yeah. is a good one as well. Like don't, I mean, you like if you like what you said, know that the first few might not be perfect quote unquote, then, then you're maybe more comfortable to do them and learn from them. And as you said, like nobody knows everything at the beginning, probably we know very little. And so as you're on that journey, make sure their feedback loops, make sure you keep an open mind, make sure. Um, and, but yeah, don't search. I see that with many investors in general, when they start on their impact journey, 
they they wait for the perfect one to come along, which obviously never does, and can take them three years to make a first investment. And like you just lost three years of learnings. If you made a few investments, yeah. smaller ones that I mean, depending on the returns, the risks, the 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 capital you have available, but learn from doing and and. Don't risk it all, obviously, and, yeah. and make sure you, yeah, have these feedback loops, have the community around you to to support you as well, and know that the first few, when you look back in ten years, might not be the the most the, the ones you're most proud of, but who knows, maybe they will. Yeah, and and I might be going out of a limp here, but but um, one thing that has sort of been been a big thing in my head recently is that that I think. Uh, what what it really means to to invest regeneratively or trying to is very subjective because it is very very complex um, when you get rid of the reductionism then there are so many different parameters and it's so interdependent that at least my head can't really you know get it all right and and i think other people it's the same problem to them so so people i really respect and i know they come from the same place as i do and they want the same thing we get to radical different conclusions on different investment opportunities. Is this good or bad? Uh, and and uh, it really depends on, on how you weight sort of efficiency versus maybe animal welfare. Or there are different criteria and you can't get them all, but, but you're still all going in the right direction. And I think we have to acknowledge that and not point too many fingers about, oh, but they invested in that. Or, and because we're all trying and, and, you know, no one is investing in, coal or fossil fuels or like no one is doing anything obviously bad uh, but but there are different different uh, sort of ideas about what an ideal future looks like and and the investments will follow from them and um, there's not one right or wrong way to do this and and if you think there is then you'll never make any investments yeah probably it's good that there are different views or visions on the future because it would be a bit odd if we all have the same yeah. same vision vision about that I, w- I would start to get worried yeah yeah and just just an example that that i talked to to one i respect a lot who um invested in some fish farming which is a very efficient way to to sort of um, create a proteins um for human consumption and you know you can take the waste and put it into uh, <clears throat> into the soil and for, for nutrition so you can almost create a, a closed loop in it but but I come from a place that, and and that's also back to the respecting life that, that I really prefer plant proteins that, and I don't think we should make animals sort of a means to our ends. Um, so, so I wouldn't make that investment. I get why he's doing it, but, but to me, it's not sort of, it's not my bar of what regenerative looks like, but, but it's not that I'm making any claims about my bars is, is the right one. Yeah. I think it's uh, like with many, I think especially on animal protein, I mean, we've had many conversations here on the podcast. Like I would always ask the question, what's the, 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 the service of the animal in that case? Is it to make fertilizer? Mm, is it to make pro- like what, what's the role of the animal in regenerating a landscape, which could be a seascape as well. Then I think it gets very, very exciting if it's just between quotes and quotes, and we still have to do that, but create more efficient protein. I think there's, yeah, you're going to be fighting things and, and it's going to be difficult to, I mean, close the loop is very tricky because there's a lot of feed that needs to go in. Which type of animal yeah. are you growing? How do you interact? What is the complexity? What is the diversity? I mean, is it indoor? Out? I mean, there, there's some, but I think that if the goal is to regenerate a bay somewhere, suddenly I think bivalves and oysters and mussels make a lot of sense, maybe together with certain fish. Um, and, and so what's the, 
how do we use quote unquote the tool of 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 animals to to regenerate and not just make it a bit cleaner i think it's an underlying question that that we hardly ever ask and and they are amazing at doing things that we can't like ducks yesterday in interview i said geese but ducks are amazing at grazing and and create very interesting protein both on the eggs and the meat and it shows that i'm I'm really not a regenerative farmer obviously um and 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 ruminants are doing something we can't turning grass into something but of course that can be done extremely extractive and extremely regenerative if you do it well but it really i mean it's us that need to make that choice and Unfortunately, we many, many times we didn't make that choice on, uh, let's say, the right side, um, or at least the, the non-creating life side. I think in service of life, you make different choices um, with, with these kind of investments. And it's not easy, but at least the direction is clear. And I think we see more and more people like, okay, what's the, the direction of life? Or creating something that's slightly cleaner, slightly less pollutant, slightly more this. And like, yeah, I don't think that's, we don't have time for that. Right. We need to do it, but I'm not getting excited about it. No, me too. And and we see a lot of those with tailpipe solutions, you know, a better tailpipe for, for a diesel car, right? And uh, it's, you know, it's better than not having it, but it's also, yeah, someone who invented a, a, a machine to suck out uh, methane from uh, from cows, but it only works indoor. So, like, it's only the worst, the worst kind of uh, of animal production you can facilitate with that. And then, yeah, so, so we really, we... Um, I know you've talked about this in previous episodes as well about, you know, how much do you trust tech and how much uh, you don't trust tech. And uh, I come from the tech industry and, and to me, that's the tech solutions are often an expression of a reductionistic uh, understanding of, of uh, what needs to be done. So it's not that we are against tech, but, but we are not the ones who just invest in an app and hoping for that to solve everything. We really like that. It has a connection to the physical world. And, to flip the question, then what what is tech that you're getting excited about, or have you seen tech that you get excited about? We can talk a bit about a few of the portfolio companies, obviously, as well. But like in in terms of tech, do you see tech out there that you're either invested in or not invested in, but in general you're getting interested in or excited about? When, of course, with your tech background, but also with your deeper generation focus now. Um. Because I really like plant-based proteins, I think fermentation is a technology that's that's um, that's uh, under. But would you call it a technology? I mean, it's more a process. Well, I mean, that, that's sort of you know, for to some a paper a piece of paper is a technology. Yeah. Like it's uh, so the definition is also or an investment fund. I mean, if you take the if you take the Greek definition of technology, where uh, of course I don't remember where it comes from, but um, I think even a, a vehicle like an evergreen structure is a technology. And and so, looking so, at so, your current portfolio, I mean. I want to be conscious of your time as well. And I have some other questions, but just to describe a few, like how is the diversity, first of all, because that's, a, of course, a company, a question people would ask. And like, what are, I mean, you mentioned the, the grain company. What are some others you, you always like to bring up when people ask, okay, this sounds all nice, but how, how, how does it get concrete? Like, what did you invest in already until now? And, and what kind of uh, cool things are you, are you backing? Um, are you part so of backing invest- sounds wrong? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, be a partner of a service yeah. is what we're trying to to to, to use. Sorry, my language is still very VC. Yeah. Oh, mine is too. But I'm, I'm at least we're trying here to to do it the right way. Um, we invested uh, in a company called Beyond Coffee, which is growing mushroom on spent coffee grounds, um, and I, I think they have a very holistic way of of uh, a circular way of, of producing. So they, they take 
uh, coffee grounds and and grow uh, the mushrooms and that, and then they uh, take take the mycelium rest and, and create some very good compost out of it. So they, I think, they are doing all steps right, which we were very impressed about. And and you know, it's it's not really technology heavy to uh, to create mushrooms. Um, so so what we also really like is is business model innovation. Um, and they created some mini farms, so they. Uh, they they grow uh, the mushrooms um, at their farm, which is uh, all local and only serve 20, 25 kilometers radius. Then they create another farm after that. And then they put them in some uh, mushroom fridges and canteens so they can grow there and people can see how a mushroom is growing and how beautiful it is um, and hopefully get inspired to eat more uh, plant-based uh, so, so then we I get to a discussion are, like is a, is a mushroom plant or not like it's sort of another kingdom but it's it's for sure one of the most true. stunning things coming out of nature like if you see mycelium grow through those coffee bags and through those and yeah, then yeah, yeah. In, in a day or two like an explosion of life coming out of those it's it's really oh, it's, magical it's if you haven't done it at home really find a local producer and, and because this is uh yeah we we drink the coffee we throw away i think 99.5 percent of of the coffee grounds the rest is your coffee and it's still it's a very good soil amendment, but you can first grow uh, oyster mushrooms or mushrooms in general and then use it as a soil amendment and something you can easily do at home with children, etc. So go and do it if you didn't do it yet. Sorry. Yeah. And then uh, another investment we just made is called Biomix. It's uh, some researchers from a Danish university. So they created a small bio trap. So they go out in the soil and uh, they catch uh, the good bacteria there. And then they go home to the bioreactor and they uh, feed it some organic uh, inputs. And then they actually scale it and they can uh, take out a lot of uh, of the bad uh, fungicide in it. So so it's it's good enough for organic far farming and and it's a way to to use bio fertilizer from from uh, pretty local inputs i think it's a really interesting business model it's still uh, rather early there but but uh, but but i'm really excited about the potential um, uh, at least from the the lab studies um, from from how uh, how much uh, it can actually improve yield in organic farming and so basically you're investing both very early and slightly later stage, or is it mostly early, or what? What are you normally comfortable with? Yeah, and and, and so mostly early if we use that. But we also invested in a, a company called Aurian, which is uh, has been leading biodynamic uh, grain produce here in Denmark. And it's uh, I'm almost forty, and and Aurian is older than I am. But you know, they never raised a dollar. So you know, what stage is that really? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, uh, it's their first round, but still, they're very experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And um, and that that's the company that that has uh, stewardship ownership uh, mostly besides us. Um, and and they couldn't really move on because they needed funding, and and they didn't really have access to that. And uh, they got a lot of offers from other funds, and they rejected them because they didn't really believe they would uh, they would uh, care about their values and and keep it uh, keep it as the founders intended in terms of being biodynamic. So um, and they're really interested because they they uh, they buy most of the biodynamic grains in Denmark, but they also set up production for uh, for legumes, um, which we need a lot more of uh, up here. So so if if a, startup had come just on the legume sites and saying that we're ready to, to process this um 
then we would be all ears. Then this company came around and much older, but still all all the uh, the, the right values. Um, then I think it's a great fit. So probably better and, even and, because they 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 are in business. They have set up their their value webs, their Mercedes, and they are selling. They know. I mean. The chances, like the risks are so much lower if you're around for more than 40 years that you're around for another 10 is, is pretty likely compared yeah, to a startup exactly. that could disappear tomorrow, literally. Yeah, so it's, it's also good to balance risk, I think, uh, the, in a portfolio. And I know that that's usually not how it works because then you have pure VC, which is very high risk. And then you have some later stage um, <coughs> funds, which um, are, are less risky. But, but we still we have a hard time finding those who really believe this enough for us and and have also have a right idea that that we are maybe a little bit stage agnostic um, we want meaningful ownership but uh, but but we could, could get that in this case so so we don't want to be too locked in by uh, by saying that we're only pre-seed only seed seed only series at a stage yeah sure and to switch it a bit in terms of I mean, you're saying 25 million would be a nice amount. We, we want to stay as radical as possible. Let's say crazy life event. You're suddenly in, in charge of a billion dollar or billion euro um, fund, and it can be as radical as you want it to be. So you have uh, all the possibility to, to choose the longest time horizon possible. Liquidity is up to you, et cetera. It has to be investments. What would you focus it on? What would be your priority? sectors could be in food and ag obviously it could be anywhere else like what would you focus on would it all be in legumes in in denmark what would you or in, in special tech that we don't know yet um to to bring complexity to farms like what would you um focus on if you had that access to to that kind of um kind of portfolio i think i would split it in two buckets um one I wouldn't really expect uh, to make uh, any profit from. That would be sort of facilitating a conversion of land to, to regeneration or restoring ecosystems. And the other half, I would uh, invest in companies that would sort of create services for those uh, working to convert the land. Um, and obviously, those companies could also sell to to uh, other regenerative farmers. So I think being able to create a, a large local ecosystem where people would get the right people who actually want to convert the land and maybe also you know be smallhold farmers, whatever. There are many things we can do in, in, in terms of creating more uh, regenerative, regenerative agriculture and, um, and restoring ecosystems, but then creating all the, the companies around that who can who can create that those services. And some will be more tech than others. Um, but I think that would be really interesting to try to to create that local ecosystem and make sure that the entrepreneurs, they have access to the farmers and they really understand what they need. And, and when you say services, could it be food companies as well that, that, yeah, that buy course. from yeah, these, yeah. that buy food rotations, for instance, that would be an amazing service for many, many farmers and not just one cash crop and, and mean services in the broadest sense of the word. In this yes, case, exactly. Case. So it, it could be food companies, it could be, uh, you know, uh, robots for weeding or whatever, whatever the farmers would would say they need it uh, in order to to be able to do that job probably and and protect the soil and the biodiversity, and and I think if you could get get the right people together here and make sure that there were enough money to sort of support the conversion of land uh, while giving the opportunity to to smart people to innovate around that, I think that would be a really really powerful way to spend a billion euros or dollars or whatever we have here. 
and you would focus it mostly or predominantly you say here in in Denmark where you're like in your local context do you see that pot potential there mostly or would you um would here be somewhere well, else so i think Denmark is a very bad case because we sort of grow up all our land so i think we have a lot of work to do up here that can be used other places in europe but but um i think there is a sense in in, in choosing a place and creating a community there so I, I, it it could be in denmark it could also be in germany or other places it 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 doesn't really matter too much where it is but i think it's all it's about creating the solutions that also work locally and then let's see where can where else can this be applied because i think one thing we're also starting to learn that that the last 40 50 years in in, in large scale globalization we have seen the same solutions applied everywhere and and that might not be the right thing going forward we need more <laughs> more local solutions and 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 some of them can scale globally some of them needs to be adapted some of them shouldn't uh, be scaled and that's okay but but i think keeping it it uh, to one place um would be good and then we can copy that model about spending a billion dollars um, to other places as well and and see what's right in that ecosystem and we take your fund away i mean people know, know this question is coming but if you had a magic wand and you could only you could change one thing one thing only in um i would say in the regeneration space could be on the investment side could be global consciousness could be better taste it could be all land should be steward owned it could be anything and um, what would you change overnight? I think I would really like to to make humans uh, not like meat anymore, to turn everyone into a vegetarian or vegan. Um, in my and and uh, in my mind, that would would help solve a lot of of problems of all this extraction we're doing in this world. So, so if we could could sort of free ourselves from industrial meat production, then. Um, we could free up so much land because we don't need all the, uh, the the feed going into those animals, and we could could end so much suffering and and uh, hopefully also be a bit less alienated to our food um, because I think industrial farming it is only it only works when we're alienated from from how it's done. So I think that that would would help us in in many different ways. And do you think that would be because I have this conversation often? That would be enough. I'm I'm afraid that if we stop eating meat overnight, that the lar that I I think partly it, it doesn't exist because we like the meat. I think it exists because there's very very cheap input available from grain and soy, etc. And and I'm sort of afraid. And they already do so to a certain extent find their way in other things like glucose for corn syrup or ethanol or some other destruction way, which obviously saves the animals. So that's great. But like, would that I don't know if taking away the CAFO operations, which should end tomorrow, would also end the system of destruction of all the, uh, you say it, it could free up a lot of land, which it could, and that's always the eco-modernist approach, but it also could not. Like it also would be, maybe they find another way to burn that stuff. And, and let's say the landscape doesn't change, except of course that there's a lot less animal suffering. Um, but you could argue there's a lot more because we keep dosing those fields in, in chemicals and plowing and, and killing an amount of life and wildlife on those fields that is that is enormous like would that would that be the entry point because i see from a lot of plant-based protein sites that it's not grown at all regeneratively and we're sort of hiding that like where the ingredients come from 
I, I, I told you you could only do one thing. So I'm, I'm making the question way more complex, obviously, now and opening a can of worms. But I'm afraid that it's that it's too reductionist or too simplistic. But maybe that's the way I asked the question. Like, I don't know if it would fix it and would just find another way to to create a, an enormous amount of, of extractive ingredients to to go somewhere else, to go to salmon. And of course, the, we won't do animals anymore. But like, we'll find another way to to squeeze the system in, in a wrong way. Are you scared about that? Like pushing plant-based like singular plant-based um, on in that way yeah of course and and i think it's a totally valid point you're raising here and um and you know uh, when we only have one one solution it does get reductionistic and i think most most solutions should stop are, asking know, this will, question yeah <laughs> <laughs> no no but but it, you know it will only work maybe if there is a good uh, co2 tax or you know you limit uh, how many fields uh, you can grow or, or you know set some radio about how much can be farmed and how much cannot but but yeah so that would be an entry point but no of course it wouldn't be enough just like a co2 tax is a very efficient uh, efficient way to sort of reduce carbon but you know it doesn't really work in isolation and, and none of these solutions do and, and that's the problem about all these crisis that, uh, that that it is so Ooh, that's a question i wanted to ask actually on slide eight in your deck you might be changing this so when people see it it's different but there is a, a carbon tunnel vision slide which i've seen a lot on linkedin etc but so basically, what, what is your point that you're trying to make with, with the carbon um, that our singular focus on carbon is maybe also reductionistic? Like how, how does it go down with, with investors like when you put that slide yeah. on, which is quite early no, in your deck? Yeah, no, they get surprised because, you know, to them, uh, the, the crisis we're facing right now is a carbon crisis. And that is one of the crises and probably not the largest one, uh, to be honest. <laughs> Um, so, so, and and you know, if you get a, a ESG report f uh, for your portfolio, you know, it will be about carbon intensity, and and it will only focus on carbon. There is nothing else uh, right now, and no other metrics in terms of of sustainability. And and uh, to me, that that's uh, that's a really big problem, but it's also a very big uh, opportunity. I, I saw some statistic about how much money went into eco venture money uh, or venture funding went into ecosystem restoration versus electric vehicles. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, no, it's nothing. you know, like, you can barely see uh, the ecosystem, ecosystem restoration funding on that chart compared to just electric vehicles. And then, you know, you get to carbon capture and storage and PTX and, and other stuff on top of that. So, so to us, it's such a great investment opportunity to invest in, regeneration and sustainability outside the carbon space. Um, and uh, uh, that much more funding will go there in, in the coming years. So, so being there early, you know, not too early, we need to keep the companies alive until other realize that, <laughs> that we also have other problems, uh, is much more attractive right now because we can see how much funding and, and how crazy the valuation, valuations are for some of the electric vehicle uh, companies, for example. No, absolutely. And I think on the warming side, like water vapor and biodiversity and revegetating the earth is, is if you're really worried about global warming, that's where you should focus on. And people are coming around and there's much more attention now for, um, for evaporation, et cetera. But it's, yeah, carbon is, is a very small part. It's a big problem, but a very small part of a much bigger problem we have and we're facing. And, and people are coming around to that. But yeah, if you're early enough and you can stay around, that's the, the place where you would like to be. I want to be conscious of your time. I know you have to go um, relatively soon. I, I, I opened a can of worms, two can of worms, probably at the end of the conversation, which means we need to check in again. We means we need to um, sit down and, and unpack many of these and, and other 
investments you've been uh, making at that time. So I'm looking forward to that. I want to thank you for your time uh, this morning and uh, looking forward to to unpack the evergreen structure of planetary um, in the future. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me and uh, having this conversation. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links discussed, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash post. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you like this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.